0: Hello. Welcome to Mysteries and the Macabre. (laughs) So today I'm going to cover a story that has been in the news a lot lately, and that is the story of Lori and Chad Daybell. I'm going to give you all the information you probably don't know. I kind of have a loose idea of of this case, um, but there's a lot that I had no idea about. Um, So... Hopefully, we can get this all in before the trial starts in January of 2023. Well, we will get it all in. The book I used was Doomsday Mother by John Glatt. So let's get started. I'm going to start with some background on Lori and Chad. Lori Cox was born June 26, 1973 in Rialta, California, which is in the Inland Empire by San Bernardino. She was the fifth child of Barry and Janice Cox, and Barry had a successful career in the insurance industry. So they were an affluent Mormon family living in the Inland Empire. An anonymous childhood friend in this book describes Lori as being popular and spoiled. In her opinion, although the Coxes attended Mormon temple, they were a little flashier than the other Mormons she knew. They didn't seem particularly devout either, in her opinion. In fact, Janice had kind of a trashy look. She wore hot shorts, leopard, high heels, (laughs) like that kind of stuff. So (laughs) they were definitely unusual Mormons. They also used to take off for Hawaii on the weekends and would leave the kids behind. For the weekend? Yeah, they would go to Hawaii for like a three day weekend.
1: You go to—that's Pal- a long flight. You go to Palm Springs for a
0: three day weekend, not Hawaii. Uh, look, you're gonna find out one thing: these people love Hawaii, like they fucking love it. So, in addition to that, another odd thing about the family: Barry was very anti IRS. He believed the IRS was a criminal organization and that taxes were illegal. And he talked about it a lot. So people found him extremely irritating (laughs) because it was like a nonstop thing that he was bitching about. I'm sure it's like, even if you agree to some extent, it's like, okay, shut up already. Like, we're not going to change anything. This childhood friend also spoke about being creeped out by Lori's older brother, Alex, who she said was always lurking around watching Lori. And in her opinion, he seemed obsessed with Lori. When Lori entered middle school, her parents became hardcore gamblers. They began pulling Lori out of school so they could go to the Santa Anita racetrack together. (laughs) They would um, use their gambling winnings at that point to go to Hawaii for weeks at a time, leaving 16-year-old Alex in charge of the other kids. They would leave him money that he basically would use to have parties for his friends and order pizza.
1: I don't think that's fair if they were pulling her out of school to go gambling and then they didn't even take her to Hawaii. Yeah, she should at least be involved in that, in the winnings. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. Like maybe she picked the horses. Right. So it's also during this period that Janice decided Lori uh, needed to lose weight. She's very image conscious, and she like basically fucked her kids up with this kind of shit. Uh, she put Lori on a strict diet, and she would often ridicule Lori in front of her friends if she caught her eating chips or anything that she thought was fattening.
1: Jesus.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> so this anonymous childhood friend also said... Lori confided in her that her brother Alex was trying to have sex with her too during this period. She said yeah. wait,
1: Alex was the brother was the trying oldest to, brother was trying to have sex with Lori, the sister yes. the sister. Who was junior high, yes. Not that it matters.
0: It's yes. Like, simply- <laughs> Way too young of an way too much of an age difference. And their sisters, brothers and their sisters. Their brother and sisters, too. Yeah. Yeah. in Certain families that, yeah, people don't accept that. <laughs>
1: that's there's certain in certain that's not okay. This is
0: not flowers in the attic. Yeah. Uh, so that was the only time she brought it up, though, and they never spoke about it again. Now, when she entered high school, her mom was very pleased because she had lost some weight and made the cheerleading squad. Although initially Uh, Lori was a more modest girl and a devout Mormon, more so than her parents, at least. Lori began to become this mini version of Janice wearing flashy, skimpy clothes, bleaching her hair, and driving a flashy car. She also loved being the center of attention, and it kind of annoyed her longtime friends who really didn't recognize who she was anymore. She also got a boyfriend, Nelson Yans, uh, her senior year and graduated in 1991. Her yearbook, she in her yearbook, she said her favorite memory of high school was cheering at a pep rally when all the eyes were on her. In 1992, at the age of 19, she married her high school boyfriend Nelson against her parents' wishes, but the marriage ended shortly after um, the two got the marriage uh, annulled. She then moved to Austin, Texas, to go to beauty school. Now her brother Adam was there already working as a DJ under the name Bo Nasty. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You don't think that's cool? <clears throat> Adam's wife, Nicole, found Lori to be a total narcissist, saying she probably looked in the mirror more than anyone she had ever known. In Austin, Lori began dating a man named William LaJoya, and the relationship was pretty dem- dramatic. The two often fought. And one time, Lori called the cops after he hit her. Um, the, the charges went nowhere because she didn't show up to like further press them, I guess, and Lori was try- trying to, like, convert him to Mormonism constantly. Now, Lori wasn't the only Cox sibling at the time dealing with a very traumatic situation. Her sister, Stacy, who was married with a young daughter named Melanie, was in a custody battle with her husband, who claimed Stacy was severely unwell. She was a type 1 diabetic, and she refused to treat her disease she it went a step further though. She considered all food to be poison, and a lot of this stemmed from Janice's obsession with her kids' weight uh, and physical appearance when they were kids. Melon, please stop. Come on, Melon. This is serious. Stacy got down to seventy six pounds, uh. so she had a severe eating disorder as well as this diabetes. She refused to go to the hospital and said only Hawaii could help her health because that was the only place she was truly happy. She was also a germaphobe and refused to let Melanie go to school because of the germs. And she also made Melanie adhere to a strict diet or a weird diet. Melanie, when her adult teeth grew in, they actually grew in without enamel because of the lack of calcium, <gasps> which is- That's
1: horrible. Horrible. <laughs> like, her child? Yes.
0: So Melanie's like six, like so she's Ugh. losing her first teeth. And, and they she were growing has her
1: kid on a diet?
0: Yeah. She wasn't allowed to have like- Dairy and like whatever, which is like okay, but you gotta supplement. You yeah. need those minerals and nutrients from certain foods as a kid. Oh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> I'm already upset. Right. So Melanie's dad eventually gets custody, divorces Stacy, and gets remarried. At the age of 22, Lori marries William LaGioia, Um but the domestic violence escalates. Obviously, more charges are filed and dropped because they just keep going back and forth. There is an incident where Lori claims that William threatened to kill her and their un- unborn child. And she eventually gives birth to that child, Colby, in 1996. But at the time of his birth, they are separated. So Lori finally agrees to take William back because he agrees to convert to Mormonism. But there's like this very weird story. Now, Lori tells a lot of stories that just don't make sense and are always very extremely dramatic. Uh, this one is the basic gist of this is that she agreed to take him back. He's at his parents' house. So she goes to meet him at his parents' house where she finds him in bed with another woman. She claims that she wanted to leave at that point, but he took her car keys and she basically was stuck at the house and she was there for months because he took her car keys and she couldn't leave. The parents are also there. Um, at some point, they say that she would be allowed to leave if they left if she left Colby, so that's why she also stayed. And then she does eventually leave, and nothing happens as far as pressing charges. So I don't really know what the deal was there. They do finally get divorced in 1998, and Lori is basically struggling now. She doesn't have um, a husband supporting her. She's basically driving around Texas finding work as a hairdresser wherever she can. And she just—it's just her and her baby Colby at this point. In May of 1998, Barry and Janice take the family to Hawaii. However, Alex, the oldest brother, stays behind to care for Stacy, the sick sister. In Hawaii, the family receives a call that Stacy has slipped into a diabetic coma, and she wasn't going to make it. So the whole family flies back from Hawaii. Lori calls um, her niece Melanie to tell her the news. And Stacey eventually dies on May 21st, 1998. A year later, in May of 1999, Barry Cox is arrested and sent to a year in prison and ordered to pay a quarter million dollars in back taxes. Now, when he gets released, he sues the United States. Well, <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that.
1: <laughs> it, wait. Is that true? Because I, I, I'd I like to sue them over some other stuff. I mean, he sues the United States, the IRS, the Department of Justice,
0: like this laundry list of things. But the first one was the United States, which I don't know why. It just made me laugh, the <laughs> idea that you could do that. Yeah, let's let's start a class action. So this is his life for the next few years because he files these cases. They're thrown out. Things are appealed, et cetera. It's just like this long. You know how legal things are. Yeah. In 2001, Lori meets Joe Ryan. He proposes almost immediate to Lori... Immediately to Lori, and she agrees to marry him if he converts to Mormonism. I mean, it's the funny thing about Lori is how she always wants these guys to convert, but she doesn't seem particularly like devout in many ways that you would be uh, as a strict Mormon. They get married in Maui in 2002, and he legally adopts Colby. Now, Lori is happy, and by all accounts, they're madly in love. She's quickly pregnant again with daughter Tylee, who was born in 2002. Unfortunately, marital bliss is short lived as Joe has a temper and he often flies off the handle, destroying things with baseball bats. So, Annie's sister, I'm sorry, Annie Joe's sister at some point comes to meet baby Tylee about a year after she is born, and she's shocked to see Lori dyeing the baby's hair blonde. Uh,
1: it's a baby? It's a
0: year old. <laughs> And she, she, Annie said that she saw the baby had like darker roots, and she was like, "Oh, I just assumed maybe her hair started growing in darker because a lot of babies have yeah. very blonde hair." And then she walked in and saw Lori dyeing the hair. Isn't that crazy?
1: I had jet black hair when I was born. Oh, really? Did it fall out? Yeah, and then it came back in blonde. Um. So, Annie. Also, like,
0: spoke to Lori later about how she thought um, she saw that uh, Joe was spanking Colby. And she's like, he, you know, the discipline seemed a little over the top to me. And she went to Lori with that. And Lori didn't seem concerned about it. So for the rest of the trip, Annie really feels like she's walking on eggshells around her brother. She's not really connecting with Lori. And she said when she left, she felt like she knew that was the end of her relationship with her brother.
1: I just can't get over the dying of your babies. That is, like... It's like toddlers and tiaras, like level. Every single kid on the planet has like the most perfect hair. Exactly. Like I just that is deranged. So her marriage obviously
0: is disintegrating. Lori then throws herself more and more into religion, becoming very active in the church and taking her kids uh, as well to all of these church functions. She now believed that Tylee was the reincarnation of her dead sister, Stacy, and that spirits behind the veil were giving her instructions on every aspect of her life. God's first vision for her, he told her that she would win big on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> now, Lori auditions for Wheel of Fortune and aces the audition. She has flown to Culver City to tape the show, where she wears a sexy, tight, pink like sweater top. And it's just like a bubbly... I watched the clip. You can see, You can really? find it online. Yeah. So she's like shrieking with delight. And her big win was getting $17,500 for solving a puzzle that was classic TV, gopher, Doc, Isaac, and Captain Stubbs, which is the love boat. So that was her big win. Now, this attention really lighted a fire in her. And she entered a local beauty pageant when she got home. Uh, like on the game show, she really sold her marriage and family as perfect and all American. She won Mrs. Hayes County and went on to the Mrs. Texas Texas pageant. And she was obsessed with becoming Mrs. America. Now, this is the pageant for married women.
1: Right. I was gonna I was <laughs> gonna say because like how old is she? 30 at this point? I don't even think she's 30.
0: And that's the funny thing about Mrs. America, because it's like they're basically just not 19, but they're married in their 20s. So they're like slightly older. Right. Uh, So she goes throughout the Mrs. Texas pageant. Um, She does pretty well. She gets to the top 15 and makes it to the interview portion of the contest. She also wears like a really skimpy bikini during the swimsuit section, which was like kind of like not done It was like a little too much for the pageant even, Yeah, but she did manage to make it past that. So she gets to the interview portion and they ask her, what makes her tick? And she said, being a good mom, a good wife, and a good worker is very important to me. And being good at all of those things is not easy. So I'm basically a ticking time bomb. (gasps) Wait, is that That's what? what she said, and she didn't make it to the next round. That's
1: fucking amazing. I was
0: like, honestly, if we didn't know what happened with you, it's a very funny answer. Right. <laughs> uh, it's a little too real for the Mrs. America pageant, though. So... A few days later, she starts divorce proceedings. She's like, fuck it. I don't need to be married anymore. This pageant is done. (laughs) She flies her 15-year-old niece, Melanie, in to be her nanny. And the divorce is finalized uh, at some point. One of the things in the divorce that the court orders, is, in addition to child support, was that Joe would take out a life insurance policy with Lori being the beneficiary, and she would receive no less than $350,000 in the event of his death. Now, shortly after the divorce is finalized, Lori files for bankruptcy. She had over $700,000 in debt somehow. And uh, later that year, she meets a man named Charles Vallo. He's smitten with her. And because he's super rich, Lori is like on board. Now, they get married in February of 2006. A lifelong Catholic, Charles also agreed to convert to Mormonism for Lori in order to marry her.
1: She's got... She's got diamond level Mormon pussy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's their greatest recruiter.
1: (laughs) She's their greatest recruiter.
0: So, okay. This detail really blew my mind. Um, Around the same time she marries Charles, another big thing happens in her family. I mentioned earlier that her brother Adam is a DJ. He continues doing that. He is now a shock jock DJ in the Sacramento area, and he is under investigation during the, this uh, period for causing the death of a young woman after he held a contest called Hold Your Wii for a Wii." Oh, do you remember that? I do remember this. <clears throat> that that's, was a huge story. That's her brother? Yes. So listeners, there was a contest where listeners would drink as much water as they possibly could, hold it in to win this Wii gaming mm-hmm. system, uh, and... Look, it's you that you can die from drinking too much water. Like that is possible. This is a 28-year-old mother of 3, her name was Jennifer Strange, uh who who ends up dying from this basically water poisoning. Now a nurse actually called in during the contest and told Adam and his sidekick that this was dangerous yeah. and they kind of laughed it off. They mocked Jennifer um during this game saying she looked pregnant, she had drank in so much water. And Obviously, they get sued to hell. Uh, the radio station gets sued. Adam gets sued.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: when he found out that Jennifer had died of acute water, water intoxication. Um, charges are filed against Adam, like criminal charges, That those didn't go anywhere. But obviously he was basically blacklaced, blacklisted in the shock jock radio DJ business after that. like He could not get hired.
1: You got to do a lot of bad shit to get blacklisted from <clears throat> the shock jock community. That's where you go when you got blacklisted from other places, Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that
0: crazy that that was her brother? I remember that story. That was a big story. I wonder if it was national because it was definitely big in California. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, Lori is living the life of her dreams. She has fancy cars, designer clothes, and Charles builds for her in their home a special dancing room for Lori full of mirrors where Lori can convene with the spirits. She's very into spirits now. In August of 2006, Lori calls the police reporting that Joe Ryan had sexually abused Colby and Tylee during their marriage. All of a sudden, all of these repressed memories have come out of her children, and uh, she calls the police and reports this news. Now, coincidentally, Joe is also suing Lori uh, for joint custody of Tylee. So Colby gets interviewed. He gives a detailed account of um, what happened to him. Lori is also interviewed. She says that she found um, hundreds of gay porn sites on Joe's computer, and she's like, "I didn't know he was gay." I mean, obviously, that's those two things don't go together necessarily. Right? right. It's just her trying to muddy the waters. So eventually, these accusations backfire on Lori because Tylee finally gets interviewed, and she says Colby and Charles have hurt her, not Joe, her dad. Lori immediately ends the interview when. When Kylie kind of goes off of script, um, they obviously still investigate Joe. They search his house. They do DNA tests. They do lie detector tests. They do everything, and nothing corroborates Lori's accusations. Now the, thera- the therapist began to comment on Lori's beliefs that Kylie was reincarnated. Stacy. She also they're also disturbed by the fact that Laurie uh, claims that she had consulted with a dead lawyer who what? visits her every night. What? So, yeah, they also caught Lori at some point coaching Tylee, and they warned her that she couldn't push Tylee into saying anything at all. Right. right? In May of 2007, the exes go to court. Joe passes Lori at some point, and she immediately starts screaming that he hit her. Uh, Ryan gets arrested immediately, but another attorney witnessed the incident and said Lori made it up. It completely did not happen. Uh, So Charles' ex now her new husband's ex is seeking full custody of their boys based on Lori's weird behavior and beliefs that she's starting to spot off on. The court eventually decided that Joe posed no threat to Tylee. He was allowed to restart visitation. And one psychologist actually expressed concern about how Lori would react to this news. She said that Lori had at some point said that death was preferable than giving Tylee to her father, even for a visit. Her brother, Alex, who she had been telling all these gory details to, was furious and convinced Tylee was being assaulted by Joe. Lori asked him to come to Texas to help her with a family matter. Now, Alex at the time is living in Phoenix. He was there to pursue a career in stand-up comedy he did impressions of Looney Tunes characters. This and guy, Hector Hannibal Lecter. I'm
1: sorry. This guy is in trouble. This guy, yeah. This guy's in a bad way.
0: <clears throat> so he flies out to uh, Texas in August of 2007. He's there when Joe has his first visit with Tylee post custody hearing, and this is a supervised meeting at like the Child Protective Services agency or whatever. After leaving the meeting, Ryan is confronted by Alex in the parking lot. Alex tases Ryan, Joe Ryan, like with a taser gun, knocks him down and threatens to murder him. In the parking lot of this like government office and everyone sees what's happening, Tylee would later say that her and Lori were in a car watching the whole incident. And this is an incident that Lori orchestrated and let her daughter witness, like her dad being like beaten and tased by her uncle. And she still has
1: custody of these kids.
0: Yep. Alex pleads guilty and is sentenced to ninety days in jail, which he serves in Austin. When he's released, he uses his taser attack story in his stand-up comedy. That's like his new big act.
1: This guy sucks.
0: Yeah, he had always been socially awkward and was never able to meet women. At some point, he starts booking romance tours to Colombia. Now these are these are dating service tours where they book your hotel and all your stuff is included, and then they set you up with several dates uh, in Colombia. Alex is kind of hoping one of these will work out. He's looking for a 90 Day Fiancé situation. I
1: was going to say, he's this. <laughs> he wants to be on 90 Day Fiancé.
0: Yeah. Romance tours. Yeah. That's what they're called. So after he gets back, he continues to send money to several of the women he meets
1: <laughs> <laughs> on that tour. This guy's a mess. Yeah.
0: Now, in 2008, Charles and Lori moved to Chandler, Arizona, further complicating the custody situation after numerous frustrating experiences, Joe is like, fine, I'll transfer to Phoenix to be closer because he just not want to deal with Lori's shit. In May of 2012, Charles's nephew and girlfriend have a baby that is born 10 weeks premature, The baby also has drugs in his system and almost died. The grandparents, Kay and Larry, adopt this baby and rename him JJ, but they quickly realize that they're unable to properly care for this special needs baby. They're much older and they had a demanding business, but Charles and Lori agree to adopt JJ and raise him as their own. So they're super grateful that uh, Lori takes this on. JJ also has recently been diagnosed with autism, and she really steps in and does everything she can for him.
1: Wait they, a minute. Lori and Charles adopt this baby. Yes. Whose baby is it again? It is
0: Charles's nephew's baby. Okay. So the nephew's parents try to do it, but they just can't, and so Charles and Lori okay, take it on. Okay, sorry. That's okay. They even get... JJ, a trained service animal, a dog named Bailey. So in 2014, the family makes plans to move to Hawaii. They keep it secret from Joe, who of course finds out. Now he finds out from Tylee, who was supposed to keep it a secret. Obviously, she's a child. Right. Uh, so that's pretty fucked up to put that on her. She also was suffering from um, like a recurring bout of pancreatitis pan- at the time, and that flares up with stress. So Joe was extra irritated that Lori would do this to her her, her daughter or their daughter, knowing her health issues. Uh, Lori didn't care. She moved to Hawaii before Joe had time to file a custody complaint about her doing it. Her parents join her in Hawaii and they just start living this Hawaiian lifestyle. They become very active in the local LDS church and Lori, you know, appears happily married to Charles. She, um, Does start complaining to friends, though, that he is not her spiritual equal because he is a convert to the Mormon religion and not a purebred. I don't know like what the thing is. And perhaps uh, that's holding her back in her life's mission. She also becomes obsessed with reading newer LDS authors and listening to podcasts. Now, one of her new favorite authors is, authors, is a novelist and podcaster in Idaho named Chad Daybell. He writes novels about the end times. Okay, Chad Daybell. Now we're going to get into him. He is born in 1968 in Provo, Utah, to Jack and Sheila Daybell. Jack's family traced their Mormon roots back to 1840. Uh, They have a connection to LDS founder Joseph Smith, and boy, are they proud of this. According to Chad's memoir, his first encounter with death was when a classmate was killed in a cave collapse. He became obsessed with death and the idea of heaven at that time. In fourth grade, he writes his first book, which is a gory murder short novel with an evil owl on the cover. When he is 13, he recalls seeing a honeybee pollinating a flower, and he stomps on it. (gasps) He continues to stomp on bees until he hears a voice telling him, stop. Did he stop? Yeah. There's no one around, and he knew an angel was the one. Who told him to stop? The angel was fed up with him killing God's innocent creatures. And this is the beginning of heavenly creatures speaking to Chad Daybell. In ninth grade, he has another spiritual awakening while reading the Book of Mormon. He's reading the book, and a spirit rushes into the room, leaving him in tears. Like he is so moved by this. He knows at that moment he had been blessed and he will have a long, wonderful life ahead of him. He was also convinced he had spiritual gifts and would be able to one day bless others. His senior year, he gets a job as a grave, grave digger.
1: He knew he would one day be blessed <laughs> by getting to be a podcaster. Yes. I mean, show me the lie. Show me the lie. Uh
0: so he gets a job as a grave, grave digger, and that's, this is a job that fascinates him. Now, he will go back to this job many times throughout his life. It's like his go-to job when he needs work. Uh, that sounds like a really hard job, person. I mean, not, go beyond the creepiness. Digging. Digging is... Digging is hard. It's so hard. So um, that year, he also has his first near-death experience. This happened when he jumped off a 60-foot cliff into water below. That sounds really scary. I could never do that. It frightens me to jump off one of those rocky cliffs into water.
1: I did that a lot as a kid. Really? When I went camping, I don't know. I'm not good with like height stuff. It probably not 60 feet, probably like 20 feet. Oh, that's so scary. I don't have the nerve. Yeah. Uh,
0: When he hit the water he saw a flash of light and he heard a pop at the base of his skull. So he started panicking. He had broken his neck.
1: I mean, 60, yeah. 60 feet sounds very high. That's high, right? Yeah. You would hurt. It would hurt. Uh,
0: His spirit also went halfway out of his body at that moment. But as he was dragged out of the water, his spirit returned, and his life was obviously changed in that moment.
1: That was just the wedgie he got. Absolutely. When he hit the water. Now,
0: he claimed it ripped open his personal veil to the spirit world, and it never closed. So after that moment, he would be able to see disembodied spirits laying in limbo, angels, you name it. At some point, he sensed the spirit of his dead grandfather, Keith Daybell, who would become his spirit guide. Now, while attending BYU, he meets Tammy Douglas and they quickly fall in love, get engaged and married uh, on March 9th, 1990. Their son Garth was born shortly after he graduated in 1992. And Chad begins his work as a cemetery sexton. This is the guy, this is the manager of the cemetery. Oh. Uh, So that's obviously quickly unsatisfying to Chad, despite how much he loves cemeteries. Uh, In 1997, his grandfather instructs him to follow his mission, and that mission is to start writing books. So, by March of 2000, um, Tammy and Chad have five kids, and he has written his first book, Errand for Emma. This is the first of a trilogy. (laughs) Now, these are all LDS themed books at this point, mysteries, whatever. But at some point he has a choice to make. He is offered a high paying job in like computer parts sales or something like that. And he also gets offered a lower paying job in the publishing, like the LDS publishing world. His grandfather tells him to pick publishing. He doesn't even tell his wife he doesn't give her she doesn't get any say in this matter. yeah, uh, and he picks publishing. so he takes this lesser job uh, and he quickly becomes a star in the LDS publishing world. In March of 2003, through um, his literary career, I'm sorry, his literary career suffers a major blow, however. His novel, Chasing Paradise, is banned by the leading LDS bookstore chain for being offensive. The Offensive Passage, a warrior angel named Ruby picks up a naughty spirit and dropkicks her through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that sounds pretty awesome to me. So I guess it's too violent, or you're not allowed to dropkick an angel, or even a naughty angel, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a year later, he starts his own company. In 2004, he starts Spring Creek Book Company. And it appears the company is wildly successful. But in late 2008, it is abruptly shut down, and it's revealed that Chad and Tammy owed um, creditors over $200,000. Now, Chad, of course, blames the recession on this fuck up, and he goes back to grave digging. Poor Tammy actually suffers a mental breakdown during this period. Um, and obviously, the financial struggles are weighing on her, but she's also becoming disenchanted with her husband and his fucking visions. Like, it's like, get a fucking job. Like, yeah. <laughs> so she becomes obsessed with this online game called Frontierville. Do you remember that? I think it was a Facebook game.
1: It was a Facebook game. Chad doesn't like
0: it. He actually goes to the church to get word from God that uh, Tammy is
1: addicted and she needs to stop playing Frontierville. I mean, people were addicted to that game, but I don't think that, I think if you're going to the church to report it, you're a fucking weirdo. Also, don't bother God. With Facebook stuff? Yeah.
0: <laughs> it just seems really stupid. Yeah. And it's the only thing that's making her happy. She actually is like, fuck the spirits. I don't care what the spirits say. I'm, I'm playing Frontierville. Let her have some joy. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So in 2012, um, he is kind of out of the book selling business, but he has a new calling, and that is the end times because the end times is coming. In July of 2012,
1: baby, it's happening. I just don't know. I've never <clears> met <throat> a stable person who's really into the end times, personally.
0: No. Who comes to you with, like, factual, look like, look, I I know it sounds crazy,
1: but look. <laughs> here, well, here, there, here. The, these these, Especially these, like, big <clears throat> mouthpieces for the end times, they're always, like, predicting a specific date, and then it doesn't happen. And they're like, well, that was just God's testing me. Yes.
0: Well... Yeah. I mean, and that pretty much happens with Chad. So when that fails to happen, a fellow writer named Suzanne Freeman, who had been long disturbed by his end times talk, uh, says to him that preaching this stuff will lead to death and sorrow. It really frightened her. She told him he needed to stop and they kind of parted ways because he didn't stop. He begins to read the avow website. This is another voice of warning. That's what that stands for. And this is a preparedness community. So it has message boards, articles, whatever. Like preppers? Yes. It's a, it's a end times prep community. They call it pre- preparedness. Sounds uh, community. normal. Yeah, real normal. In 2015, he claims that he hears a voice telling him to relocate to Rexburg, Idaho. So he and Tammy... And the kids all moved to Rexburg, Idaho. Rexburg,
1: that is so specific.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a very Mormon uh, community. So who the hell knows? I mean, poor Tammy just has to go, uh, no matter what her husband tells her. Tammy,
1: you can do better. You can find someone who supports your Farmville lifestyle. Now, while he's
0: in Rexburg, he begins promoting his doomsday books, giving talks, and these are all focused on end times. So it's really outside of the normal Mormon doctrine. And he is actually targeting church members uh, to join this offshoot cult that he's kind of starting, like low-key starting. Um, because he is he has like a background in Mormonism, he's kind of able to weave together the Mormon beliefs in his new end time stuff that sort of makes it appealing and it makes sense to these Mormons he's trying to pull in. He also begins to participate in conferences about near-death experiences and psychic healing. And he starts developing like a little bit of a following. In May of 2017, he publishes his memoir, Living on the Edge of Heaven. While promoting his book, people start noticing his charm, especially with women. In July of 2017, he begins working with PAP, Preparing a People. This is a prepping group as well. Uh, They do a conference and start a podcast that Chad regularly appears on. At one conference during his presentation, this detail is for you, Rachel, he shows a picture of Woody Harrelson in 2012.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: So that's up on the PowerPoint, this picture of Woody Harrelson, where he's pretty much a doomsday guy in the movie. Right. Um, And he says, this is one of my favorite characters. (laughs) Because this is how people think I've acted the past five years. But
1: he was right. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it, was, it was a movie. He wasn't right. It no. was a movie. <clears throat> well, he's right in the movie, which is a movie that's fake. It's a Roland Emmerich movie, to be more specific. Yeah. So
0: in the fall of 2017, at one of his speaking engagements, he meets a woman named Melanie Gibb. They hit it off. And she becomes PAP's Arizona representative. At the end of 2018, Melanie brings a friend with her to Preparing a People event in Utah. That friend is Lori Vallo. Now, where we last saw Lori, she is living in Hawaii, but by the summer of 2017, the family had moved back to Chandler, Arizona. And Lori, by this point, had immersed herself in the radical offshoots of Mormonism. She picked apart Chad Daybell's books. She started doing more research. Always a bad sign.
1: <laughs> when you're doing your own research. Yeah, when you're doing
0: your own research on something like this. Um, she also discovered the AVAL website as well, and she was really relieved that God had chosen her as one of the sacred 144,000 who would survive the end times and witness the second coming of Jesus Christ. Every night, she went into her mirrored dancing room and communed with the spirits while listening to Christian music. Signs of trouble in the marriage became obvious when Lori didn't go to the funeral of Charles's mother, Tilda, who was the much-loved matriarch of the family. Larry, Charles's brother, was like, that's weird. Like, why is your wife not here? Um, And he really started becoming concerned that Charles was blinded to Lori's, like, faults. Another bombshell, in the summer of 2018, Joe Ryan's decomposing body was found after three weeks. (gasps) Now... The medical examiner said that he had died of a heart attack. But everything with Lori is just so suspect. Now, she got that $350,000 insurance policy as well as Social Security payments for Tylee, his daughter. Um, And she told a friend that she really saw it as a blessing. Uh. Like, she just said that. And she's like, we don't have to worry about him anymore. Ha, 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 ha. Like, that was her reaction to Joe's death. That's her daughter's dad. Like, That's fucked. So... She becomes friends with Melanie at some point due to Melanie being this pap rep in Arizona. And that's how she ends up meeting Chad. So when Lori is introduced to Chad for the first time at this conference, they immediately hit it off and are pretty much inseparable the rest of the conference. And now she's still married to Charles. They're both married, yeah.
1: Oh, and he, right. He's married He's to married to Tammy.
0: So Farmville, that was the other one. <clears throat> so Chad told her God had brought them together and according to Melanie, by the end of the weekend, Chad told Lori that they had been married in seven previous lifetimes. The two oh, began, seven. yeah, the two began a private communication after that conference. Now, Chad had a special owl necklace that he used in his spiritual work that would guide him through. Like, he had this extensive list of who was bad, who was good, who was dark, who was light, et cetera. When he go, when he went home, he began working on a detailed light and dark spirit analysis of everyone in Lori's life for her. Tylee was a dark spirit and JJ was a light spirit among others. Um, but these things can change. Like people can go back and forth and they can have different levels. He emailed his findings to Lori and they just started communicating online or through email nonstop. Lori also began to send him videos of her dancing in her Christian mirror room. They counted the days until they could see each other again. Coincidentally, Chad was beginning to be very unhappy in his marriage uh, to Tammy. She uh, was constantly nagging him, and Lori really got him in his, miss- uh, his uh, mission, unlike fucking Tammy, who was always <laughs> wanting him to work and earn money to support their family of five, um, or their five kids. Uh, and he knew to be together, they had to get all of the obstacles out of the way. Now, several weeks after their initial meeting, Lori's husband Charles leaves town on a business trip. The minute he's gone, Lori holds an intimate overnight gathering at her home uh, with members of Chad's like following. In attendance, in addition to Chad, is Melanie Gibb, the woman who introduced them, and other people uh, who come over after this conference he's speaking at in Mesa, Arizona. Gibb, Melanie Gibb would later recall that Chad lavished attention on Lori. And he talked about his unusual religious beliefs, including the deeper mysteries of God. Um, According to her, Chad also stated that he had lived 31 different lives on various earth-like planets. He referred to all of his work with light or dark people. He believed the dark individuals were from earth, but were followers of Satan. And those who were light were followers of Jesus Christ. He also referred to Lori as an internal being of 21 separate lives, only five of which had occurred on this planet. So that night, Zach Cox, who is Adam, the DJ's son, happened to walk into this room at some point because he lived in Arizona. And he recalled like hearing this loud group of people talking and walking into the room. And the second they noticed him, they all immediately stopped talking and turned and looked at <gasps> him. And he said he felt like he was in a horror movie. <laughs> Like, that was how dramatic that moment was. Like, he had stepped in on something. That's so scary. So, after that weekend, Lori begins treating Charles like shit. Uh, She told Melanie that Chad had built a portal in her closet, and that's where he would visit her uh, while they were apart.
1: Did he sometimes just stick his dick in there? (laughs) I know. Like a glory hole.
0: Um, So... Uh, Yeah, they wanted to start their mission together, uh, which was to rid the world of evil spirits, black, uh, like the dark persons. And those people Chad also referred to as zombies. So on December 5th, 2018, Chad and Lori appeared together on the Prepping a People podcast episode, Time to Warrior Up. Lori and Chad also sealed themselves together for eternity in the Mormon temple, which is blasphemy in the Mormon church because they're both married and you don't do that. Lori had a premonition that Charles would die in a car accident before the end of the year. And she was crestfallen when it didn't happen. Uh, So at the beginning of 2019, Chad informed Lori that Charles's body had been taken over by an evil spirit.
1: Here we go. So
0: yeah. Now Chad is very influential to Lori at this point. She basically only listened to him on every aspect of her life She was also very active recruiting new members into his flock, including her niece, Melanie, and her brother, Alex. In February of 2019, Charles leaves on another business trip. Lori immediately cleans out um, all of their bank accounts. She calls Charles, telling him she took the money and that uh, she was gathering it to join this 140,000 people who were waiting for the second coming of Christ in July of 2020, she said that if he dared interfere with any of her plans or her mission, she would murder him. She also said that she no longer cared about him or JJ and that she was the reincarnated wife of LDS founder Joseph Smith. She then hung up on him. Now, Charles is very distressed after getting this phone call from his wife. He immediately flies home, and when he comes home, uh, like the truck he had left from the airport is gone. She like took the truck too, so he takes a cab home and this is like an insane and series of event, events that happen with Charles. First of all, he has to call the police and say, um, my wife has lost it. She thinks she's going to marry Moroni, the angel of the Mormon church. I don't know where my kids are. She says they're going to drop them off at school next day. Like, And the police are like, uh, okay, so what's the crime here right. at this point? So he's very distressed and no one's basically taking him seriously. Lori finds out he's called the police she goes into the police station with the cli- the kids, claiming that they're the ones who are in fear of Charles, and that's why they had to leave. Now, this goes back and forth, and the police are just like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, there's like a 2020, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I read a little bit of the transcript. And a lot of this is on police um, body cams. Yeah. And Lori's just like, hey, right. like it, it's de- it's deranged. So at some point he's like I really want to get her checked out by a psychiatric facility like something is wrong with her like he is genuinely concerned about her yeah. at this point she agrees to go but she she fools them yeah. like she doesn't she doesn't go along like she doesn't go along with what she really believes and she's deemed to be um, a fine so nothing really moves forward with this weird situation legally But the same month, Charles files for divorce. He also files for an order of protection against Lori at the advice of his attorney, citing a genuine fear for his life. He also realizes that Lori is the beneficiary to a $1 million life insurance policy that he has. So he's like, I'm changing that to my sister Kay. He goes to do it, I guess, online. He finds out that Lori had changed the password to his (gasps) uh, account, his insurance account, Uh, He still is able to change it, but it was just a chilling discovery that she had been monitoring things or checking in on things. Now, Charles has JJ at this point, and Lori flies to Hawaii with Tylee. So she's basically living it up in Hawaii now um, on that Joe Ryan insurance money. Charles begs Lori to return because JJ is distraught. That's his mother, and she basically just left him. He misses her desperately. Charles sends pictures of JJ to her, and she doesn't even respond to these texts. Um, Where's Colby? Colby's just like in college; like he's he's not even in the situation anymore. He's oh. much older. Oh, okay, because Tylee's, forgot. like a teenager now, and Colby's like I don't know, eighteen. So right, he's just he's kind of out of the picture at this point. Um, so. Lori does return to Phoenix and she almost acts as if nothing is wrong or nothing has happened. And Charles at this point is kind of just relieved that she has a change of heart and is with JJ. So he kind of doesn't really question this change of heart, but Lori and her followers are spending day after day praying to get the power they need to defeat the zombie evil entity. That is Charles Vallow on June 24th, 21st, Lori goes online to find out what her social security payments would be upon Charles' death. So she, at this point, is like, well, in addition to this $1 million, I'm going to be getting $4,000 a month as well in these social security payments. Uh, She doesn't know he changed the policy. When Charles finds evidence of an affair between her and Chad, he threatens to tell Chad's wife, Tammy, all but signing his death warrant. She tells her brother, Alex, now is the time to do the Lord's work. On July 11th, 2019, Charles Vallow is shot and killed by Lori's brother, Alex, who claims self-defense. Now, this is another, this is another place where Cox, Alex, Lori, Tylee, who was also there, all have different stories. So he basically says that he walked in on Charles um, beating Lori. Uh, he then went to go after him with a bat So that's when he got his gun and killed Charles in self-defense. Now, (laughs) there are texts that were found where it's basically obvious that Alex hit himself with the bat afterwards to make it look like self-defense. Right, But at the time... Lori also has a basically the same story, but they fuck up a few of the details, and the cops are kind of like, wait a minute, these are all different stories. Lori says, Alex is like, Lori wasn't there. Lori like, I was there, but then I left to take the kids to school, which doesn't make sense either, because it's like, so you someone got shot and you're like, well, I gotta drop the kids <laughs> off. <clears throat> it's just very weird. Now, wildly enough though, the cops don't really press this self-defense uh, thing too much at the time. Um she calls Chad and tells him the good news. She has a pool party like that afternoon at the house
1: after her husband is shot.
0: Yes. Now she tells her son Colby that her husband died of a heart attack. He arrives at the house sort of um during this party and he's like dumbfounded. He doesn't know what's happening. He's like your wife your husband died. And then he finds out it was he was killed. And it's like even crazier that she's having this party. Like
1: let me just get this straight. <laughs> Charles Vallow was killed in the morning. Yes. Early in the morning. So then Lori claimed, and then I oh, then I had to take my kids to school. But then later that day in the afternoon. She has like a pool party. This is wild.
0: And there's pictures. There's another image of her. Um, because this was like a news story in, in the area, obviously, because yeah. he was a prominent businessman. Of her, like in sunglasses, smiling, walking into a house, like right after her husband was killed. So it's just like crazy. Like so, Charles' family found out from a newspaper. She didn't even tell Charles' family that he died. Oh my god! And then she just doesn't have a funeral for him, and she just kind of sent the family his ashes a few weeks later. Like that was it. Just oh my like God, just rude. Now she also sends her brother Alex on another romance trip to Colombia. She She sends him. Yeah, get get him out out of of there. Just get him out of the town for a bit. He's happy to take it. But things were uh, not going as smoothly as she initially thought. Charles's death does end up being ruled a homicide after the medical examiner realizes that the trajectory of the bullets are inconsistent with the story Alex told. It proves that Charles was shot while he was lying on the floor. So the case is opened again, uh, and they're investigating further. No one is arrested at this point. Another snag for Lori, she finds out that there is no million dollar windfall coming her way, that Kay is now the beneficiary of this life insurance pol- policy, and she punishes Kay by keeping JJ from her. Like that is her way of dealing with that. Now, Charles is dead, and Chad has moved on to the next dark spirits, keeping them apart. JJ, Tylee, and Tammy all have very high. Death percentages and in his little formulations. So his of, his wife Tammy, <clears throat> right, and her two kids, two That's of right. her kids, yes. So her her minor children, yes, yeah. So Tammy recently had been taken over by an evil spirit named Viola, according to Chad. Not so she's, Viola. Uh, she's she's like she's getting on that dark list. Um, they decide that Alex will be their hitman now. So. End of August, 2019, Tylee, JJ, and Lori, and Alex, and her niece, Melanie, all move to Rexburg, Idaho. Chad promises Lori that Tammy will die by a car accident before she arrives. That doesn't happen, and life in Rexburg gets pretty tense. Tylee, in particular, is very angry. She didn't want to leave Phoenix, where she had all her friends. She's a teenager, so she's rude. Uh, She's rude to Chad. It makes him uncomfortable coming to the townhouse. Lori spends most of her time prepping for doomsday and being frustrated by Tammy's existence.
1: Honestly, if I was Tylee at this point, I would be a little more than rude. Oh, I mean, who could blame her? This is
0: ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. On Sunday, September 8th, Alex, Lori, Tylee, and JJ go to Yellowstone National Park for a day of sightseeing. They take lots of pictures. They post them. They stop at a restaurant on the way back to the townhome. And this is the last day that people have seen Tylee. Lori um, tells people that Tylee is off at BYU. She's gone to college, uh, and that's why she's no longer around. So... That same day, Chad sends a very weird message to his wife, Tammy. He says, hey, if you come home, uh, you might smell some weird things. I had to uh, shoot a raccoon on the property. I burned it in the fire pit, the barbecue pit, and then I buried it in the pet cemetery behind the barn. So just in case you smell something weird, uh, <laughs> that's what happens. Okay. So Lori tells everyone, um, like I said, that... that Tylie is at BYU. Her focus is now JJ, who she is convinced is a zombie. On September 23rd, the last anyone sees of JJ is Alex bringing a sleeping JJ up to his room uh, in the townhouse. A wedding ring is purchased on Amazon from Charles's Amazon account on October 2nd, 2019. Uh, this ring cost $206.00. So it's a pretty cheap ring. Yeah. <laughs> who, who, who who buys those on Amazon? It's <laughs> wild. Um, on October 9th, 2019, Tammy reports on her Facebook page that um, someone had shot at her in her driveway. A masked man that she believed had used a defective paintball-like gun shot at her while she was in her driveway. Now the sheriff's office um, does not find anyone. Uh, the perpetrator Ten days later, Tammy is found dead in her home purportedly from natural causes. Chad claimed that she had retired the night before with a terrible cough and died in her sleep. So no autopsy is performed on Tammy. Chad declines to do so, and the county coroner did not overrule that decision. Now, in October, Colby gets some Venmo payments from Tylee. Uh, they have messages like "We love you," a heart emoji. He also like texts her on her phone, and uh, she saying that he's really worried about her. And he gets responses from Tylee saying that she's safe but too busy to talk. He also uh, tries calling her; she doesn't answer, and he just becomes more and more worried. Now, <laughs> just two weeks after uh, Tammy is is dead or dies, Chad and Lori get married in Hawaii. That happens on November 5th, 2019, um, while they're guests of the wedding who don't know them too well, uh, hear stories like that her daughter had died in 2017 or that Lori has no children. Like, so they're already sort of lying about her back background. Uh, back in Idaho on November 26th, police visit Lori's townhouse at the request of JJ's grandmother, uh, Kay, to conduct a welfare check. Uh, Lori tells them that JJ is in Arizona with family, and that night Lori and Alex pack a truck outside of her home. When the police and the FBI arrive the next day to search the home, it's completely abandoned, and Chad's home is also empty. Lori and Chad spend Thanksgiving at Knott's Berry Farm. That's where they go. These people are nuts. (laughs) Yeah, then they're off to Kauai. Now, from December 2019 to January 2020, the police, the sheriff's department, the FBI really intensified this investigation into the disappearance of the children. They also began investigating Tammy's death and where where Chad and Lori are. They don't know she's in. They're in Hawaii at this point. Um, they start collecting evidence, and Tammy's body is exhumed for an autopsy. Now, Colby and JJ's grandparents plead with uh, the Daybells to return the children. And uh, Kay offers a reward of $20,000 to get them back or have some information. And investigators contend that Joshua and Tylee's lives are in danger at this point. The children are not with Chad and Lori, but they obviously know where they are or what has happened to them. And Lori is completely refusing to assist in this investigation uh, at this point. Now, this is where I feel like I first heard about this case. I was
1: just going to say, this, I remember this period when it, this the news broke about this and it was national news and it was like this mom and her new husband are have absconded to Hawaii and yeah. they refused to answer any questions and and no one knew where the kids were and her two of her kids were missing and they weren't it was just really scary it was weird it yeah. was really scary so
0: Through their lawyer, the Daybells say that Chad Daybell is a loving husband, he has the support of his children in this matter, and Lori Daybell is a devoted mother, and she resents assertions to the contrary. We look forward to addressing the allegations once they have moved beyond speculation and rumor. It's like, well, you're the ones who can move it beyond that. (laughs) So making matters worse, Melanie Gibb, one of their top tier cult members, who actually is the person who lied to protect them regarding JJ. She said he was with her in Arizona at some point, not really knowing what was happening. Uh, She begins to fold. She starts telling cops everything she knows, basically. And she also agrees to record a phone call with Chad and Lori. Now, this phone call becomes a heated discussion when Lori quickly figures out that she's being recorded. And this just turns into a fucking mean, nasty conversation and Lori hangs up at some point. Melanie also tells Alex, uh, Lori's brother, that it's over. She's like, I'm going to tell them everything. Like, You better get your ducks in a row as well. And on December 12th, a day after Tammy's body is exhumed, Alex is found dead. (gasps) Yes.
1: There's so many details about (laughs) this case that I either don't know or forgot because it's so complex. Yes. Now, it was
0: ruled natural causes, but obviously there's a lot of speculation about his death. Um, some think he may have ended his own life in order to not have to testify against uh, his sister, who he was obsessed with. And others are like, was he killed? Because, right. you know, you can do things to simulate a, a heart attack, right? right? Like, And Joe also died of a heart attack or right. natural causes. So it's definitely suspicious. On December 20th, the Rexburg police and the FBI hold a dramatic press conference, uh, tying Tammy's death to the disappearance of J.J. and Tylee. Um, At this point, this is like a nationwide search for these missing children. On January 25th, Lori has served a protection order compelling her to physically produce J.J. and Tylee or be in contempt of court. Now, meanwhile, we're just seeing footage of them living in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like 2020 and like Dateline are there filming things and they capture them on camera, like entering a hotel, and Lori has sunglasses on and she's like, No comments. Right. And like that kind of stuff. Um it's it's wild. Um, so everyone in the country is like, what the hell is going on here at this point? Just yeah. watching them. January 30th, everyone's waiting with bated breath for Lori to produce the kids. Surprise! it does not happen. And now she's in contempt of court and and the Idaho is beginning extradition process to bring her back to Idaho. On February 20th, 2020, she is arrested by the Kauai Police Department and charged with two felony counts of desertion, non-support of dependent children. Um, And she is also charged with misdemeanors, uh, lots of stuff and being in contempt of court. She is held on 5 million dollars bail. She agrees to be extradited back to Idaho. She doesn't like fight that. The judge eventually lowers her bail to 1 million. Uh she wants to get it lowered even more. The judge denies her request, but it doesn't really matter because all the bond re- the local bond companies refuse to work with her cuz they're wow. like that's a flight risk like if I've ever seen one. Right. So and she's people act like she likes being a celebrity in jail. Like, they say that she enjoys being the main story. Um, Colby also shows up at this hearing to ask his mother the question the world wants to know. He, like, screams at her, where are JJ and Tylee? Like, he mm. is desperate at this point. He's so sad. Now, <laughs> this is March of 2020, and we all know what happened then. COVID happened. Oh, my God. So this COVID really slows things down at this point with this case. Um, more bad news for Lori. The Chandler police have now reopened the case of Charles Vallow and it is recommended that Lori be charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Now, her sister and mother go on TV at this point to defend Lori, saying that, um, like, yeah, the wedding and gallivanting around Hawaii don't look good, but to Lori, the children aren't missing, so that's what makes the difference. Like, what? she doesn't think the children are missing. It's like... They're minors. <laughs> it's crazy. They're not with you. And, I mean, I guess their opinion is that she knows where they are maybe like that's their magical thinking. Oh my God. Now in June 1st of 2020, an agent who's like going through all of this text and information that he has comes across Chad's text to Tammy about burning the raccoon that he buried in the pet cemetery. And that is the break that everyone had been waiting for. On June 9th, 2020, the police get a search warrant for Chad's home. They discover human remains buried in this pet cemetery. Chad is booked into a jail later that day on obstruction uh, and concealment of evidence charges, and he is later uh, charged with felony murder. Now, on June 10th, his bail is set for $1 million, um, and the Woodcock and Ryan families do confirm that the human remains found on his property were those of Tylee and J.J., uh, and the police confirmed that as well. So this is not a missing persons case anymore. This is now a murder case. So they were able to kind of figure out a little bit of maybe what happened to Tylee and JJ. Obviously, the night after um, they went to Yellowstone and stopped in dinner, uh, some point Alex took Tylee, and they don't know how she died because she was severely like dismembered and like. They burned her body. That was what he talked about with the raccoon. They did trace his, like, cell phone pings, and they saw Alex driving back and forth to this property. They also saw that he, um, after he finished burying Tylee, he stopped at Del Taco. Like, that was his thing. What and then sick. I mean, just, like, sick. Uh, poor JJ was still, like, in his red pajamas from that night, uh. and he was severely duct-taped and wrapped in plastic bags, and they don't even know if he was buried alive, like... That's like, they just don't know how these kids really, uh, what happened to them exactly. On July 2nd, uh, prosecutors dropped two of the charges against Lori because they had to be replaced with other charges. Like it was no longer desertion. It was now obstruction and concealment of evidence. Now people are wondering, were wondering why murder charges weren't immediate. And that was because Alex is likely the murderer and he is dead. So what they had to prove uh, was that there was a conspiracy amongst these people to kill the children and Tammy, et cetera. And they found it. On May 15th, I'm sorry, May 25th, 2021, Chad and Lori are indicted on, on this charge of conspiracy to commit first degree murder, first degree murder and grand theft by deception because they stole these social security benefits of the children. Um, Chad was also charged with insurance fraud for uh,
1: taking the life insurance with his wife. Um I like I like how in like according to Lori and Chad, their whole justification for committing all of these horrible murders is is somehow religious based. Yeah. Yet they still find it. Uh, they find a way to like. Well, we might as well cash in on this too. Right, and it's like if you think the world's ending, why do you need all those millions? It's just <laughs> it's just so beyond.
0: No, nothing makes sense. Now, Lori, at some point, they want her to go under a psychological assessment. Uh, the state of Idaho does not have... Um, you can't be proven not guilty by reason of sanity. Like They have to fix you before you go on trial, basically, Yeah. or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> it's also a death penalty state, obviously. So they put her into an assessment facility. Um, they don't think she's ready to proceed in a trial. She needs restorative treatment. Um, And according to sources, like Lori is still in this facility uh, at this point. She reads Chad's books daily. She writes to him every day. And she's often seen on surveillance camera dancing uh, to music that is obviously not playing. The trial has been postponed because of this. They are being tried together. Um, And that trial is now set for January of 2023. In the hopes that Lori will be deemed competent by that time, so hopefully that will happen. So yeah, they haven't even gone on trial for this yet. It's not happening
1: until January. The thing about this case, I'm so glad you did this story tonight because obviously we 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 talked about this just the news updates on on our main or on our um, mini episodes on our main feed. And I remember every time I would try to read anything about this case, I would like see stars because it was so, just so bonkers. Like the details were so much. And just the fact that she had left this trail of bodies, it was like so confusing to me. This yeah, was, it was. Do you know what I mean? That's like, why I wanted to
0: do it because I was like, I need to figure out what this case is once and for all. Like For
1: some reason, I don't know what it was about this case, but it was so confusing to me. Because we were
0: kind of being plopped into it After a lot had happened. Yeah. And we had to like backtrack and figure it out. Well,
1: it was also one of those cases where like you see the initial headline in November of 2019. And it's like the headline is just like each word is more insane than the last. Right. That's why I was happy to
0: find this book where I found out where they were coming from and how they got to that point. Right. uh, It definitely helped me kind of get it together. What a... I hate them. They're awful like there's just yeah i just
1: it's such a horrible story i mean it's really interesting and neither
0: one of them it's like usually maybe sometimes in a case like this you're like that's the cult leader
1: no they're both they're both awful
0: like yeah they're
1: both awful i just selfish and like evil i mean truly i feel so bad for those kids and i feel horrible for colby has to like it just i just don't get it it's
0: like just give them to someone. You don't right. have to keep them. Right? Like,
1: why'd you have to kill them? Right. It's just because awful. they created
0: this whole narrative. Right. And it's just like, ugh. I mean, just, yeah. And
1: then killing her husband, Charles, obviously is like horrible. And we well, know, yes, definitely. And Tammy, but, and, but for some reason, it's just the kids are just like well, that's of course. just so it's like, like you kill your own kids. <laughs> like go fuck yourself. And
0: all of his kids, by the way, are standing by him, and they're saying like almost like that he's sort of the victim in this and it's like no chad's
1: kids yes yeah are standing by him Mm -hmm. it's like he killed your mom like (laughs) what a mess
0: i have to watch the 2020 because there was a lot of interviews with them but i just didn't have time
1: i'm really gonna be invested in the trial now now that i have all all this information that i didn't have before especially all the uh her earlier life context is really interesting well because she definitely
0: comes from a Weird family.
1: Like well, there's a lot going like on there. Her own parents were abusive as well. And she was obviously abusive to her kids. Um, wow, what a story. Finally, finally, I get it all put down linear because <laughs> I feel like we every time I read this case, news news items. I know it was kind
0: of like I was like, I hope this isn't too overdone, but I was like, I really don't know, and I need to know. So hopefully other people also need it laid out.
1: Yeah. Um, it was just one of those tough nuts to crack for me. Anyway, okay,
0: that's the thanks. end
1: of this episode. Bye. Bye.